Our text this morning, 1 Kings chapter 18, I'm just going to read this one verse for our text. We'll come back to this passage later. Verse number 21, Elijah came unto all the people. And he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, then follow him. I want to pause right there before I read the last half of this. I want you to understand that if is for the reader and for the hearer. It has nothing to do for the writer. There is no if in Elijah's vocabulary. There is no if he be God to Elijah. Elijah knows he's the one that prayed and that God shut the heavens for three and a half years that it didn't rain. He knows who the one is that sent him down to the brook Cherith and used the ravens to feed him until the brook ran dry. (laughs) He knows who it was that sent him to the widow's house over at Zarephath. He knows who it was when the barrel of meal was empty and the cruise of oil was dry. Yet every day for years, they ate out of that empty barrel and that empty cruise every day. The meal never ran out and the cruise of oil never ran dry. He knows who it was that he called on when the widow's son died. And he went into the room and called on his God. And God reached down and restored life into that boy's life. And he brought him out and gave him back to the widow alive. He understands exactly who God is. There's some of you in here, you know who God is. He's the one that was there in your midnight hour when you wept for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. He's the one that was there that brought you through your loneliest valley. He's the one that brought you out of the darkest nights. He's the one that paid your bills when you had no job, didn't know what you were going to do. He's the one that put your family back together when you're the one that messed everything up. He's the one that reached in and did what you couldn't do. There's some of you in here, you know who God is. But there's some people still playing church. And Elijah's got some things to say. If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, can I plug in right there that Baal is anything in your life that you've put before God? Baal doesn't have to be Baal. It doesn't have to be a golden image. It doesn't have to be a wooden calf or a golden calf or a wooden spigot or trinket or a little, little piece of something you got. It can be your hobbies. It can be your thoughts. It, anything that you put before God, that's Baal in your life. So he says, if the Lord be God, follow him. But if it's Baal, if it's anything else, then follow him. And all the people answered him not a word. If God is God to you, Elijah says, then act like it. Walk like it. Talk like it. Look like it. Live like it. Speak like it. Eat, drink, live, breathe in a way that people see Christ in you, in Christ through you. He says, if God is God to you, then let the world see it. And if God ain't really God to you, then stop pretending. Stop playing church. Stop telling people you're a member of a church and living like you're a member of hell. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your message. God, I pray, Lord, it'd be both challenging, but I pray it'd be inspiring. I pray it would be encouraging. 
And God, I pray, start with me. Would you help me, God, to be encouraged to be what you'd have me to be? And God, I pray you'd speak to everyone within here and distance, no matter where it may be, God, on the Internet as it reaches around the world. Father, I don't know who you'd have listening today. But God, I pray you'd bless every ear that hears and touch every heart, God, that understand to be given. I pray you'd draw us closer to you, God. We just want to serve you. We love you, Father. You've been good to us. We thank you and we praise you in the precious holy name of Jesus. Amen. Making choices is just a daily affair. Anybody have to make any choices every day? Anybody make any choices at work? Anybody make any choices in life? I mean, all, all throughout the day we make choices, but one of the choices we have to make is we have to choose to follow God. We have to choose whether or not we're going to do the will of God in our life. We, we have to choose whether or not to let God do something in us or God do something with us or God do something through us. We have to choose whether or not to surrender our very being that God might use us. We choose every morning whether or not to pray. We choose every morning whether or not to read the Word of God, but choices don't end in the morning, do they? Choices just keep on coming all throughout the day. The devil and the things of this world continue to, to bring things in to compete for our time and, and to try to pull us one way or another. All day long, we have to choose who and what are we going to surrender to. Boy, sure is quiet up in here on a Sunday morning. He said, all day long, you're going to choose who or what you surrender to. We're either going to surrender to the will of God or we're going to surrender to the things of the world. We, we live in a day that many times I have referred to as casual Christianity. It's a take-it-or-leave-it atmosphere. It's a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. It's a take-it-or-leave-it day of the church, especially post-COVID. I shouldn't say post since we ain't passed it, nor will we ever be. It's always going to be here. Just like the flu, I don't see it going away. I do see some things dying down from the news perspective in November, but I'm not one of those, yeah, I'll be going away on November 3rd. You believe that lie if you want to. I preach funerals with people that their families will tell you different. I've talked to people on the phone. Matter of fact, i got a deacon sitting right over here that, that is one of my worship leaders and singers and choir director that still can't sing because of it. So you say I'll be gone November 3rd if you want to. I'm not that naive, nor am I that stupid. COVID-19 is around. It's what it's going to be. We'll get some vaccines. We'll get some stuff. But it's around. But some people have decided, well, I sat out of church that long. I guess I can sit out of church a little longer. See, see, we, we choose. We choose. We, we call it casual Christianity. That's not what Jesus called it. Jesus wrote a letter about it. He wrote a letter to the seven churches. And we live in the day of the seventh church age called lukewarm. We live in the day of Laodicea. We live in the day of the seventh letter written to the seven church. Jesus Christ said of that church, you're lukewarm. I'd rather that you'd be hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Now, see, here's the thing about a church being lukewarm. It, it is something that is made up of many members. The church isn't just us. The church is the church, the bride of Christ. But even just within us, it's made up of many members. So if you take something that's made up of many members, in order to create something lukewarm, you have to have some who are really hot, some who are a little hot, some who are really cold, some who are a little cold. And when you put it all together, you create an environment of lukewarmness. What he's saying right here is it's up to you to decide which one of those are you. Are you going to be one of the really hot, if you are, stand for God? If you're going to be one of the really cold, quit playing church. I don't want nobody to leave now. 
Y'all don't turn me off. I got a whole message full. If, if you choose to be hot, then you can't keep straddling the fence. If you choose to be hot, you can't keep walking with your hand on the fence, knowing that if you decide you want to play, you can just jump over the fence for a few, few minutes and jump back. If you choose to be hot, you choose to be on fire for the Lord, at some point, you, you've got to stop being worldly at the workplace. You've got to stop being worldly in the classroom, at, at school. You've got to stop being worldly out on the street. You've got to stop being worldly on Friday and Saturday night and then play church on Sunday morning most of the time. If you're really going to be hot, it's got to plug in deep inside right here. It's got to be real. God says choose. I want you to choose. The book of Haggai, chapter 1, people are working diligently on their houses. They're, they're, they're working to earn money, and they're planting crops to get food, and they're drawing water from the well to have water. They're, they're doing everything that they can to better themselves, to better their lives, to make their situation better while the house of God is neglected. See, years ago, the Babylonian Empire has come and they burnt down the city, they burnt down the walls, they burnt down the people's houses, they've torn down the temple, they've left it, and now some people in this day have come back and they're building their houses. They're putting their own life back together, but they continue to let God's house lie in waste. So, so God sent his prophet. Now, if you think it doesn't matter, if, yeah, does God want you to be happy? Yes, he gave you everything he got. Does God want you to have a house? Yes, he gave it to you. A car? Yes, he gave it to you. Family? Yes, he gave it to you. A home, children, whatever you have, God gave you. And God wants you to have all that and more. God wants to bless you. He wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there be not room enough to receive it. But God expects something. And if it wasn't important that we put God first, he wouldn't have sent a prophet back in this day. He wouldn't have recorded it in the book and preserved it for, for over 2,000 years to bring it over that we might read it. Haggai chapter 1, verse 3, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to or is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Hmm. You've sown much, bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag without holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That, that is a perfect description of today. Nothing is ever enough. I, you ever know, I don't care what you do for somebody, it ain't never enough. And it seems like the more you do for somebody, if you ever stop doing, then you're the worst so-and-so on the planet because you didn't do something for them. No, nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever enough. It, it, it's like the more we have, the more we want. We, and we have and we have and we eat and we eat. And we have houses and we have cars and we have all the stuff, but yet we're never satisfied. Yet church remains important to many. God says, consider your ways. See, see, just, I, I don't know, I, you know, like my own examples, I use myself one to keep me out of trouble with y'all. Well, it really don't, but I try to. But there, there's nothing wrong with playing golf. But there is something wrong with you deciding to play golf 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. 
There is something wrong when your hobby becomes more important than your God. There's nothing wrong with fishing. I love go fishing. Anybody knows me knows I love go fishing. There ain't, ain't nothing like 20-pound stripers. I love it. I'll, I'll give you another little plug-in while I'm on it. There ain't nothing wrong fishing on Sunday. See, I grew up in that old school traditions of men. I grew up you couldn't fish on Sunday. I was never allowed to fish on Sunday. Until I started fishing pro-circuit bass tournaments and, and it, it, it moved away where my mom couldn't strangle me when I come home. <clears throat> um, th- there's still a lot of elders. There's still a few elders out there that are on ponds right now. You can't fish in their ponds on Sunday. Ponds are closed. See, I, I don't see that. I do agree that we're not to work on the seventh day, which now is the first day, which is the Sabbath day, being the first day of the week, because we're in the New Testament church now. And I do know that God made our body to work for six days tops. It cannot work seven days a week and survive. There has to be a day of rest. And it is the day that is the Sabbath day. It is the day that we're to come to church. It is the day that we're to worship the Lord. But fishing didn't work anymore. Not for me. It's just pleasure. Just doing what we do. But it is wrong to go fishing on Sunday morning when I should have been in the house of God. There's nothing wrong with going hunting. There's nothing wrong with sitting in tree stands. Both seasons open right now. I love to sit in the woods. My favorite part is just kind of sitting out there and enjoying life, enjoying nature, watching the sun come up and the squirrels dig around and listen to the birds sing. It's it's really just being out there. I I love that. But if you're sitting in a tree stand right now, you have chosen to put your bell before your God, and yet you call God first place, but you just put him in second. You just showed what was important. Now, I'm just using my hobbies. You got your own. Everybody's got the things that they'll choose to do on a Sunday morning, things that we put before God. Hobbies aren't bad. Things that we enjoy doing in life aren't bad. Sports, games, none of those things are bad until we begin to put them before God. Then they become Baal. They become Balaam. And what God says is consider your ways. If I'm God to you, then treat me like God. If it's going to be Balaam, then stop dressing up and playing church and telling everybody you're one of mine because you're not. Sometimes, sometimes we not only have to choose between our hobbies, but sometimes we have to choose God over our situation. Anybody ever been in a bad situation? Anybody ever had some, some, some hard times? Anybody ever been in a spot that you really don't understand? Why? God, why you put me here? Why do you allow this to happen to me? Why do you allow this to happen in my life? Anybody ever wanted that besides me? We get in situations that, that we don't understand, but can I remind you that perspective is everything. Our attitude through it all, is everything. Here you go, note takers. Just because we aren't where we want to be doesn't mean we aren't where we need to be. If you're a child of God, God holds you in his hand, then we're in the place where we need to be. Just because things aren't going the way we want them doesn't mean that everything's going wrong. Just because we're not in the place where maybe we wish we were does not mean that we're in the wrong place. So I spent some time on that studying the Apostle Paul Paul has made the right choice. Paul is sold out for the glory of God. He's sold out to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a preacher of the gospel, to do what he's doing. Why would God have not expanded his territory that he wanted to preach? Why would God not have given him a $40 million personal Learjet to fly around and do what he wanted? Or maybe a, 
I guess in that day, a souped-up team of camels. So, so that he could get around from, from place to place, wherever he wanted. Why would God have not what, made a way for him to travel from city to city and place to place and, and temple to temple and brought crowds of people that he might preach to large crowds and, and tell everybody about Jesus Christ? Why would God have allowed that? If Paul had preached every day and lived to be a thousand years old, he couldn't have reached the billions of people that God has reached through the letters that he set him down and had him write. God always has a plan. God, God always has a, a purpose. You look at the letters that he wrote in the prison epistles. We get so many sound doctrines that, that we probably would not have gotten had Paul not been in prison. He wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus while he was in prison. It is to encourage believers. It's the reason we have that letter of encouragement. He gives us the nature and the purpose of the church. And he gives us the picture of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ that we are. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. He emphasizes what true joy comes from. We've talked about that a lot lately. True joy, even in COVID-19 and closed down and shutdowns and wearing masks, true joy comes from Christ and Christ alone. world don't have it. If they did, they'd package it and sell it, and they'd be richer than whatever the dude is that owns Amazon. If you could package joy and put it out there, one reason Amazon is as wealthy as they are is because people are trying to buy joy. They're trying to buy happiness. The reason Walmart does so good is because we walk in there to get a loaf of bread, and we spend $100 on a bunch of junk that we thought was going to make us happy. We go in to get one thing. We walk out with 15. We have a little bitty bag, and we go, man, where in the world I spent all that money? It's joy. We continue to look for it and shop for it. But, but Paul makes it very clear in the letter. If you want joy, it is in Christ. And it is in Christ alone. Through the good times, through the bad times, through the storms, through the sunny days, through the mountaintops, through the valleys. Christ is joy in us. It's a joy that we can't lose. He wrote about things like humility and self-sacrifice. He wrote about unity and Christian living. He wrote to the church at Colossus, and he, he presents Christ as God in the flesh. Tells us that he's Lord of all creation, that he is the head of the church. In that letter, he deals with the problems of false teachers and legalism. Can I tell you, that's still alive today. There's still a lot of preaching going on, preaching traditions of men. There's still a lot of legalism going on in the church. There's still a lot of people preaching things as doctrine of God that are nothing more than the traditions of men. Paul warns against that. In the day it may have been circumcision and those things, but today it continues to be things like dress code and matter and color of hair and things that don't make a hill of beans out. They don't come from the Word of God. It's just opinions of men. So, so we have that letter against false teachings. He wrote his letter to Philemon. He, he teaches about forgiveness and he encourages all of us, Christians everywhere, to treat others, Christians and non-Christians. We are to treat people as, as, as Christians. We're to love one another with all that's in us. By this shall all men know that you are my, my disciples, that ye have love one for another. The world needs to see us loving each other. They need to see Christ in us and Christ through us. But we have to love them too. You've heard, love those that love you. Jesus said, but a new commandment I give you. He said, love your enemies. So, so Paul gives us in the letter that, that we're to, to let people see Christ in us. And the way they do that is seeing the love of Christ in us. To the world, it looks like Paul is in prison. But to God, he's seated at his office. God's using his hand to write some letters to the church so that he can help Faith Baptist Church get through 2020. Amen, preacher. Thank you. I need some help. 
We, we need some help getting through 2020. Somebody the other day said, I can't wait till 2021. I said, be careful what you wish for because we never saw 2020 coming. We ain't seen what it holds yet. If we don't get our face before God and start praying and doing what we're supposed to do and turn from our wicked ways and call on Him, we may not even want to see 2021. Sometimes life doesn't take us where we want to go. Amen? But if we've chosen to follow God, then we have to believe that wherever life has taken us, if we've chosen to truly follow God, even if we're not where we wanted to be, we have to know that we're where we needed to be. We have to know that we're in the place where God has allowed us to be. Every one of us are prisoners. You're either a prisoner of God or you're a prisoner of sin. You make the choice. It's a personal decision. We're all. Paul was arrested at Jerusalem. He was imprisoned at Caesarea. He was transported and was a prisoner at Rome. But Paul never identifies himself as a prisoner of Rome. Paul doesn't call himself a prisoner of Jerusalem or a prisoner of the high priest or a prisoner of the religious crowd or a prisoner of Caesarea. He, he never identifies himself as a prisoner of men. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, one of the prison epistles, he opens up Ephesians 1.1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says... I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He makes it known in that opening statement that I am an ambassador of Christ. It means I am a messenger. I am a messenger of Christ. He makes no mistake about who he is or where he is. I am a messenger. But then when you get to chapter 3, he said, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Not the prisoner of Rome. Not, not, not the prisoner of Caesarea. The prisoner of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. In his second letter to Timothy, he said in verse 8 there of the first chapter, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Philemon 1.1, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Verse number 1, yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. All I'm saying is perspective is everything. Paul never once saw himself as a prisoner of men. He saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the will of God, for the purpose of God, for the glory of God, and wherever God had him, that's where he needed to be. Perspective. I'm sure that, that wanting to preach and go out and do all that he did and, and be free to go preach to men in different places. I'm sure that to look, it probably looks like being in prison might have been a, a detour in Paul's life. Sometimes what looks like a detour is only a detour because not taking us where we want to go. It's taking us where we need to go. It looks like a detour in our mind. It looks like a detour in our eyes because I got my eyes set on what I want to do. This is how much I want to make. This is where I want to work. This is where I want to live. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is who I want to know. This is the games I want to play. We got it all laid out. Everybody have your life all played out? So it looks like a detour in life because it's not going to all the places that we dreamed of going. But it's not a detour. It's the places that God says we need to be. 
That, that's what we see there in the life of Paul. Sometimes God just had to take us where we need to be so that he can do something through us that we didn't even know he was going to do. But we have to be where God wants us to be where God can use us. Had, had Paul been out there preaching every day, it, it's highly unlikely that we would have gotten all the letters. Highly unlikely that he would have sat down and written them. Uh, most of you, especially if you read books, if, if you read a lot of Christian literature, read stuff, you, you've probably heard of John Bunyan. He was born in the early 1600s, but he was a famous preacher, authored several books, a lot of Christian things in the late 1600s. But he spent 12 years in prison for preaching the gospel. 12 years for preaching the glory of God. Preaching was illegal. Preaching on the streets was illegal. And he was arrested 12 years in prison for preaching. He got out of prison. You know what he did. He preached. He preached in prison. But while he was in prison, he wrote books. Lots of books, Christian books, some, some, some of the most popular Christian books ever written. But, but when he got out, he preached for a little while. He'd been out for a while, and one day he's preaching on the street, and he got arrested again for preaching without a license. They sentenced him to six months in prison again. Seems like a dead end. Seems like a, an interruption. It, it, it could have been some great tragedy, but this is what he wrote. I have been away from my writing too long. Maybe this is not so much a prison as an office from which I can reach the world with the message of Christ. See, I think the same thing is true with the Apostle Paul. Paul's time in prison is not a detour in his life. It's a time when God sat him down because he needed to write some letters to you and I. He needed to get some things over that we would have to share a portion of the New Testament that he might give us some sound doctrine and some things to, to live our life by. See, it's when God sat him down and did a work, what it shows us is that if you are where God has put you, you are in the place where God will use you. doesn't matter if it's where you want to be. It doesn't matter if it's like you drew it up on paper. If you truly have considered your ways, you truly are serving God, you truly are pouring everything into God, then wherever you are, you are at an opportunity for God to use you. Think about the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Had they not been cast into the fire, we wouldn't have the story of the faithfulness of God. If we didn't have that story to remind us, we wouldn't be able to think about their situation, how God delivered them through a situation. God can deliver us through the same type of situation if we just hold on to God. But they had to be cast in a fire in order for us to have it. Now, God used this, this wicked this Nebuchadnezzar the same way he used the Pharaoh in Egypt. God can use wicked people to establish what he wants. Amen. God can use the wickedness of the world to get his children in the right place to accomplish great things. We see it all throughout the word of God. But the king told the men to heat the oven seven times hotter than normal. Daniel chapter 3, verse number 19. Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And understand the reason he's so ticked off is because he loves these guys. They're in his temple. He likes them a lot. They're the three young children brought up. He has moved them up through the ranks. He's proud of these guys. Man, he wants to see them flourish under his kingship. He, he's taking them and using them. But they didn't bow down and worship his idol. Had it been most anybody else? Done. Just fire the oven, throw them in. There's no reason to bring them before Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't matter. There are nobody. 
But because these three men are so important to the king, because they mattered so much, he said, hey, guys, maybe you didn't hear the, the clarinet and the flute and the trumpet. Maybe you didn't hear the horns. Maybe you didn't hear some things. Maybe you just missed it. Hey, 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 hey. Here's what the world's going to do to you. Hey, 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 hey. It's okay. It's okay. Ain't nobody here but you and I. It's just a handful. I ain't going to tell nobody. You going to tell anybody? You going to tell? Ain't nobody going to tell. Ain't nobody going to tell what you did. It's safe. I won't tell nobody that you worship my image. It ain't like you're letting God down. You didn't do it when all the people were looking and, and you stayed up and everybody would have seen. But, but here it is in the privacy of my chamber. Just bow down and worship one time. That's all you got to do. <laughs> all you got to do is forsake God this one time. Just bow down. It'll be okay. I'm sorry, King. God means more to me than you. Sorry, King, but I've already considered my ways. <laughs> when I got up this morning, I set my sights on the things of God and said, God, help me not to fail on this day. God, help me to walk strong in this day. I prayed, said, God, give me the strength to walk through the valleys in this day. God, give me the ability to overcome sin and temptation in this day. God, help me to overcome all that the devil's going to throw my way in this day. God, help me to overcome all the things, all the attraction, all that the world's going to do. Help me to overcome it all in this day. When we got up this morning, we asked God to give us the strength to get through this day. And you say that there is no God that can deliver us from you. But I'm telling you there is. And he's my God. He can deliver me from you, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, it ain't going to matter to me. I got a place way better than where I'm at right now. Even if he doesn't, oh, king, I am not going to bow down to that golden image. It is nothing more than Baal. It is nothing more than sports. It is nothing more than hobbies. It is nothing more than something that you want me to put before God in my life, and I'm not going to do it. That's why the king's so ticked off. Because he liked them. And he even gave them a second chance. And they said, mm-mm, not happening. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Why seven times? Second Kings chapter 5, Naaman came to Elisha. He had leprosy. He wanted to be healed of leprosy. He came to the door. He sent a messenger in. Elisha didn't even go out to see him. He sent the messenger back. He said, go tell Naaman, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman's ticked off. I thought surely he would at least come out and call on the Lord his God. See, it just shows us God don't have to do it your way. God's got his own ideas. And Naaman wasn't even going to do it. He wanted to be healed. He wanted the leprosy to go away. He wanted to live a clean life. But he wasn't going to do that because it just seemed too simple. Same thing with true salvation. Some people are going to die and go to hell, even though it's so simple to trust Jesus Christ. His servant said, Master, if he told you to do something great, wouldn't you went down and done it? Why not just go dip in the Jordan River seven times? So he went and did it, and his leprosy was gone. You know what it shows us? It shows us that whatever God says do, just do it. That's not a Nike original. God came up with that a long time ago. Whatever God says do, just do it. You don't need a swoosh or anything else. All you need is this. It, well, the children of Israel 
were told to march around the walls of Jericho for seven days while the seven priests blew the seven trumpets. And we all know what happened on the seventh day. The number seven is completion and perfection. When God says seven times, six times won't do. When God says seven times, anybody still paying attention? Because you're going to need this one. When God says seven times, eight times won't do. God don't need your help. God just needs your obedience. Trying to overdo more won't work. Doing the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. When God says do something, you do something. When God says do it now, you do it now. When God says do something later, to do it now is wrong. To put it off till later if God says do it now is wrong. Doing the right thing at the right time is the only way to do the will of God. God says consider your ways. They heated the oven seven times harder than normal. The greatest story ever written about these three men could have never been written without them being somewhere that they really did not want to be. Anybody here believe that they wanted to be standing there about to be thrown into the fire? Raise your hand. The story couldn't have been written. It couldn't have been told. It couldn't have come to pass without them being somewhere that they really didn't want to be. But they decided, I'm going to follow God no matter what. And that's where their situation brought them. See, the devil changed their location. The devil even changed their situation, but what he could not change is their perspective. God brought me to here, then God will bring me through here. Not from here. you, you got to understand that. If God was going to deliver you from here, you wouldn't be here. So if God brought you to here, that means he's going to deliver you through here. He brought you here for a purpose. Maybe it's for you. Maybe it's, it's for something happening to you. Maybe it's for somebody else to see something through you. But you can rest assured if God brought you to here, it's something for his glory. God's got something special in mind that he's going to do for somebody. And if he brought you to here, he's going to bring you through here. God's got a plan. The three men had to choose that they could have been released. That they could have been set free. They could have been restored in their position there, whatever the king was going to do for them. That they could have been put right there, but, but they would have had to forsaken God. They, they could have changed their location and their situation, but they would have had to have forsaken God. They would have had to have said, hey, God, we're going to do it just this once. No, no, you, you either trust God or you don't. You're either for God or you're against God. Consider your ways. Our text, chapter 18, verse 21 of 1 Kings, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered not a word. See, Ahab in this day that we're looking, we're back to our text. Now, I'm sorry, a couple of little sideline stories. I wanted you to understand the importance of this. Ahab has provoked God's children to, to follow Baal. He, he, has, he has followed um, Jezebel, and, and now he's got the whole nation of Israel, supposed to be God's people. They're still claiming to be God's people. They're still claiming to be Israel, the people of God. But yet here they are following Baal. So, so they're worshiping the wrong thing. They have been led astray. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, God sent Elijah before Ahab. And it says in verse 1 that Elijah the Tishbite, who is of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these three years, but according to my word. James 5, 17 tells us that for three and a half years it didn't rain a drop. 
No, no water fell. During the third year, God told Elijah to go and show himself to Ahab. Now, Ahab had sent a guy named Obadiah out to go find some water. It ain't raining three and a half years. The, the crop's dying. The animals are dying. People are dying. There's no water. There's no grass for the livestock. And so he sent this man out. Go find some water. Go find some meadows. Go find some grass. Go, go find something that, that we can sustain life. Well, what he found was Elijah. And Elijah said, you go tell Ahab that Elijah's here. Obadiah said, there ain't no way, boy. That joker's looking for you, man. He's got a death sentence out on your head, dead or alive. He don't care. He wants you. And if I go tell him that I saw you and walked away, he's going to kill me. He said, hey, boy, you don't worry about Ahab. You go tell Ahab that Elijah is here. And before this day is over, he's going to see me. Whoo, walking in the power of God. When Ahab saw Elijah, he did what the world automatically does. He blamed the man of God. See, if you read it, you can see it's Ahab that led God's children astray. It's Ahab that's led them to follow Baal, which is caused by Jezebel, and, and to follow Balaam, the false god. It is Ahab that has caused the problem for the three and a half years. It is Ahab that has brought all this among the people, but yet he wants to blame somebody else. Verse number 17 of chapter 18, Ahab said to Elijah, it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Verse number 18. The man of God answers the accusation. Let, 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 me, let me read it for you. He answered, I've not troubled Israel. That thou and thy father's house in the year forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore, send and gather to me all Israel to Mount Carmel. The prophets of Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. 850 false prophets eating at Jezebel's table. Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. In our text, Elijah came to all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people answered him, not a word. Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullets and let them choose one bullet for themselves. Cut it in pieces, lay it on wood, put no fire under. I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. You call on the name of your gods. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. All the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullet for yourselves and dress it first for your many. Call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. They took the bullet which was given them and they dressed it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. They leaped upon the altar which was made, and it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, 
He's a God. Either he is talking or he's pursuing or he's on a journey. Peradventure he sleepeth must be awakened. They cried aloud and cut themselves after, after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. Came to pass when midday was past and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. There was neither voice nor any to answer nor any that regarded. Elijah said, that's enough of that, boy. Step back. Let the real God introduce himself. He said, and all the people come near unto me, and all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed, and put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces, laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. It ain't rained in three and a half years. The reason Obadiah was out there when, when he met Elijah was he was looking for water. There ain't no water in the land. He said, go get four barrels of water and pour it on this. He said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. Twelve barrels of water. Well, I imagine O.A. was about to have a fit right now. They wasted twelve barrels of water. And there already ain't no water in the land. The water ran about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, <laughs> let it be known this day thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones. Whew! And the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up and eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink, and Elisha went up to the top of Carmel. He cast himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now and look toward the sea. He went up and looked and said, There's nothing. And he said, Go again. Seven times. It came to pass that the seventh time that he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, Go up and send to Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and the wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. The hand of the Lord was upon Elijah. He girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. God asked his children one simple question. How long? How long are you going to play church? How long are you going to sit home and say you can't come, but you can go to the grocery store and the ball game anywhere else you want? How long? How long are you going to call yourself Christian, Christ-like, child of God, and, and live elsewhere, live contrary? How long? All God said is, all I want to know is how long. 
How long do you think you can ride the fence? How long do you think you can just play church and get through this hell that the earth is in? Listen, there's a time coming. You're going to have to decide which side of the fence you're on, heaven or hell, God or the, or the devil. You're going to have to decide where you're at. Riding the fence ain't going to get it. There's a time coming. God's going to call every hand in this place, and we're going to have to choose which side we're on. God said, how long do you think you can keep talking out of both sides of your mouth? How long do you think you can keep claiming one thing on Sunday and living something else on Monday? He says, today, today you choose for yourself. You just choose where you're going to live. You choose how you're going to live. You choose who you're going to serve. But if you're going to serve me, then you put away the false gods. You put away the make-believe. You put away the pretend life. You put away the casual Christianity. If you're going to serve me, then step up. It's not the first time God told him to make a choice. Everybody remembers back in the day of Joshua, right? Chapter 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. Serve ye the Lord. If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served which are on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God hasn't changed. Today, God says, you choose. You choose. Choose who it's going to be. But choose one because I will not share my glory with anybody or anything. I am God, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the one without beginning and without end. I am the one that redeemed your soul, ransomed you, sent my son, paid the price, I am God. And if you want me to be your God, then surrender everything. I will not share you with the devil. You're either mine or you're his. Too many people today, they call themselves Christians. They're living between two choices. With their lips, they're claiming one thing. But their lifestyle tells a whole different story. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. Here's a simple test of where we are. This is all for the television crowd. This is, this is, this is maybe for somebody that's lost. This, this ain't for none of us, but we'll go ahead and go over it anyway. Are you welcome at Jezebel's table? When you're at work or, or wherever you are, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Golf course is a great place to use this example. And, and there's some people that if they've ever been to a church, they forgot it. Based on their lifestyle, their um, selection of beverage and their selection of intake and certainly the output of the adjectives that they choose to use. There, there's a really good probability that, that church isn't in their equation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you're at work, you probably have some of those same kind of people. You ain't got to raise your hand. Anybody got some people that you work with that, that like to, to laugh and mock and make fun of Christians? Don't worry about it. Hell's going to show up on their door, and they're going to call on you to pray. I promise you it'll come around. 
But on a daily basis, they cuss and carry on. They share their little stories. Men like to get in little huddles and their womanizers. They talk about what they did on the weekend. They talk about filth and garbage and trash. They talk about uh, adultery. They don't call it that, man. You know, they call it a good time. They talk about the garbage and the thing. Are you welcome in those conversations? Or are you welcome in their little ring of dirty jokes? Because, see, here's the deal. If the, if the prophets of Baal had been serving God, they would have not have been welcome at Jezebel's table. And if you're welcome at Jezebel's table, then you're not welcome at God's table. It's pretty simple to look at the crowd and how we're received as to how we see how people are looking at us. See, the, the world today... The world today is full of lies and, and deceitfulness and, and, and wickedness. The world is full of things today that is trying to distract our attention. Somebody can go ahead and say amen right there. The world is, is offering us all kinds of things to compete for our time. Time is precious. The devil is offering us all kinds of things throughout the day to keep our mind off the things of God. He's trying to offer things to get us busy, to get you out of the house too early in the morning to stop and pray. To, maybe he wants you to oversleep where you don't have time to read the Word of God. He is daily competing for your time. He's trying to steal your time away. He's offering all kinds of things to get you to choose anything but church, anything but God, anything but prayer, anything but Christ. That's what the world wants to do through the technology of the cell phones, through the little gadgets, through the games, through the television programs, through all the stuff. He's doing anything he can to, to pull us away. The devil is competing for our time to pull us away from the things of God. That is his desire. If you're a child of God and he cannot have you, but he can distract you. He can keep you from being in the place where God wants you to be, doing the things that God wants you to do. Somebody out there may be on their way to hell that God wants to send you to reach them. If the devil can distract our time and get us in the wrong place, then we miss what God was going to do through us. The fact will always remain the same. Where we spend our time is the evidence of where our heart's at. Where we spend our time is the evidence of where our heart's at. Where we spend our time is proof positive of what is important to us. What we spend the most time doing is the thing that matters most to us in our life. Listen, that's just, that's just simple. That, that's not like some great doctrinal something I ain't just come up with something great and everybody a while to write that down you've heard that a million times but the fact remains the same where we put our time is a demonstration of what is most important the children of israel they found themselves man if you guys are gonna play a song come on the children of israel here they, they found themselves in this situation because of their unwillingness to stand for the things of god can, can i tell you we're not just in a day of when we're going to have to choose where to stand. I fully expect it to get worse. Matter of fact, everybody keeps saying, man, Lord's got to be coming back any minute. Lord's got to be coming back any minute. Jesus has got to man up. Well, I'll give you that. He could show up in the morning. According to the Word of God, he could show up in the morning. But the Bible talks about tribulation. And then it says, in the end is not yet. In my way of thinking, we ain't hit that yet. 
which tells me I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and hope Jesus comes. But I think there's some more hell on earth coming first. I think there's some persecution of the church coming first. I think the day when they call good evil and evil good isn't going to end with the police officers, what they're doing. I think the church is next in line. I think when the church continues to call homosexuality sin, they're coming after the church. I think when we begin to continue to call abortion murder, they're coming after the church. They give it the cute little names, alternate lifestyle, God calls it abomination. You give it cute little names, call it an affair, God calls it adultery. See, we like to tag these cute little names, these cute little titles, but God calls it sin. And when the church continues to call the world sin, sin, it's just a matter of time. They're going to call good evil and evil good. See, I believe the day is going to get even harsher for the children of God. I believe California ain't the last one that's going to find churches thousands and thousands of dollars for trying to have church on Sunday. I don't believe Texas, even though it failed a few years ago, I don't believe they're the only ones that's going to try to mandate that a preacher must turn in his sermon and have it approved before he can preach it. I sure hope y'all got bail money when that day comes. I ain't the kind of living in no prison now. I ain't like Paul. I can't glory in tribulations. I ain't got there yet. And I ain't an author. I don't write no books. I ain't got time to write, so I need to be out. I'm a talker. I need to be out where I can talk. See, I don't, I don't believe we've seen the worst of this yet. I believe the world is going to continue to rise up. And God says, consider your ways. Who's it going to be? If it's God, then let the world know it's God. If it's your stuff, then quit playing church. Quit hiding behind something that ain't real. Just go ahead and be who you are. Well, guys, you go ahead and sing a song. I'm, I'm going to ask you if you want to pray. All of us know some people that need prayer. All of us know some people that are struggling right now. There's some people in a decision-making time right now. There's some people that have fallen out of church right now. They're not bad people. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They just momentarily lost their way, but it's up to you and I to reach out to them. It's up to you and I to call them. It's up to you and I to, to visit them. It's up to you and I to reach out. Hey, we love you. We miss you. Where are you at? Just want to see you. It's up to us to reach out and help them because God says consider your ways. That's to them as well. Consider your ways. It's up to us to pray for them. God, send your Holy Spirit and comfort them. Build them up. Strengthen them. Draw them into the house of God. Consider your ways. Go ahead and sing, guys.